I really hope that people never give up on the dreams and just stick to the grind. Go to work for somebody, let them smack you on the butt and tell you to give them a cup of coffee, you know, as a secretary. Don't do it. Go for your dreams. I wish I had a whole bunch of cool things to say, except for don't give up, ever. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 525. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I am so happy to have you here today. I am also thrilled to introduce today's guest, the author of Surviving Excarion, Raquel Gonzalez. Raquel, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I was really excited that I was referred to you and that you wanted to talk to me. That was exciting for me. Well, I want you to share a bit of your story, but from what I know, you are the epitome of going through hell and back, basically, and then making just not just the most of it, but more than the most of what life has handed you. I have a frog in my throat today, so please forgive that. But would you mind sharing a bit of your journey with the listeners? You know, I could talk about what my life is now. I have a bachelor's degree and I raised two kids and I was a single mom and people would think, well, so have half a million other people. But if I tell you where I came from, which I don't like to focus on, but it's important because it shows you that people can go from A to B and they can they can go miles. I grew up in a family where nobody graduated from high school. I grew up in a town where most of the people were drug addicts. I won't go too deep into it, but, you know, I had a, a sexually abusive stepfather and stepbrother. My brothers and sisters, there's six of us. We all experienced that, and it was very rough on all of us. And my mom, she has not had a drink in, gosh, 30 years. But when I was growing up, she drank pretty heavy, and she was pretty violent when she drank. So I was that epitome of what people would think, okay, she's going to get pregnant at 16 and she's going to marry some guy who knocks her around like everybody else in town did. And actually that's what I did. <laughs> that's the path I, I took. And um, I ended up getting into drugs. Like every, To me, it wasn't like a choice. It was kind of like puberty. This is what you do mm. when you get to be this age. And I ended up losing my kids for a while to an ex-husband who was extremely violent. And I spent several years, I went into a rehab. I spent several years fighting to get my kids back, and I did get them back. And I raised them. I worked two jobs. I had moved up to the Bay Area, which is very expensive to live in. I could a single have come mom back. in the Bay Area. I mean, living in the Bay Area as a single, just you by yourself would be tough. It was extremely difficult. And I chose to stay there because the school system was better. Why I had it in my mind that school was important, I don't know, because it wasn't my family culture. School was not important to my mom when we were growing up. She'd say, you know, I'd miss half a year of school. 
I think because I'm smart enough to go in and read one paragraph of everything in the book, I could pass tests. But in my family culture, that was not what was important. And for some reason, it was, there was, I got in my mind, my kids need the school system here and I don't want them growing up in a place. I want them growing up in a place where the bar is higher and the bar where I grew up was very low. So I stayed there. I worked two jobs most of the time. My son, when he was in high school, he started not going to school. I would drive him to school. I would, you know, I would try and walk him to the class. We'd have these huge arguments. Uh, My daughter was having problems. I was seeing a therapist and she said, her words to me where she's all, I have the secret of how to get your kid to go to school. And she's like, you know, it's, it's easy, but it's hard. And I was like, well, anything, what is it? Because I want my kid to graduate. And she said, you have to go back to school. You did not graduate from high school. You have to go back to school. So the whole reason I went back to school, you know, I went back and I, I took the test and did very tested straight into college level classes and I went to school and I worked two jobs and I took care of two kids and it wasn't until my son's senior year he woke up a week before and he went oh my gosh I'm not going to graduate I don't have enough credits I mean it took that long for it to sink in but kids do what their parents do not what their parents say He ended up going to school that year, that last year, and he graduated. He went six days a week, and he went from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. so that he could graduate, and he graduated with a B-plus average. Wow. And during that time, while I was going to school, that's when I actually drafted the first copy of Surviving X Carry On. I did it. I didn't. I never had a working car. You know, I didn't have money to get my car was always broke down. So I was often taking the light rail to work, which was like about a 45 minute hour drive. And I hand wrote the first, I still have that handwritten first copy of that. And I remember typing it up and sending it to my uncle. And he said, you have a lot of work to do on this, but you have real talent. And he worked with me on it. He was my mentor. And he helped me put together a book that has all five-star ratings. And San Francisco Book Review said it was great. And I ended up getting a – I was going to go for an associate's degree. I ended up continuing on and and getting a bachelor's degree. And I have a degree in uh, creative writing and business. And most of my history working after that was as an executive assistant, but I've always wanted to write. And I have, you know, several short stories published. I have poems published. I'm working on a second novel. I have two screenplays that have gotten a lot of attention. I mean, one was on the blacklist. I don't know if you know what that is. No, I don't know. I'm intrigued now. Does that mean do it's, not turn this into a movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually it's actually a website for uh, screenwriters. And what you do is you get on there, but there's professional screenwriters on there. Professional screenwriters get like eights or tens. People read them and look at them and give them a, a rating. Somebody who's a novice and doesn't really know what they're doing, you know, most of the people on there get 
twos, threes, maybe a four if they're lucky. I put my Johnny Ford script on there and it got eights and nines all the way across. You just gave me goosebumps. (laughs) And yeah, I've had people contact me about it and I've jumped into, you know, life keeps throwing you hurdles. You think, well, I got through this and now things are going to be better in life. Life doesn't, you know, it always hits you from the left and you just got to keep pushing forward. My son got into an accident. I was, had somebody who was interested in producing it. And for about a year, I just kind of went down. My son got in an accident, a motorcycle accident. He lost his entire uh, left arm and left leg. And he's an amazing kid. He handled it better than me. I told him once, I said, son, it's okay to cry. And he said, mom, I'd cry all day long if it grew my arm and leg back. He said, but it's not going to do that. So I need a plan B. (laughs) Wow. He worked with his hands and he was a boxer. He was undefeated. Mm. Not that I liked him boxing. He talks about coaching kids now. But boxing was a way, you know, he, he also came from, like I said, he was with his father who was very violent. So he came from a very, you know, when he came to live with me, when I got custody back, I knew every teacher, you know, by first name. I was at that school all the time because he was always in fights. And when he got into boxing, that changed. And what they told me is they said, you know, everybody has a toolbox. He's only got one tool in there. It's to hit. What we need to do is teach him that that tool is only used if somebody is raping your mother. (laughs) And there's a whole bunch of other tools he could use to deal with things. And that's what we worked on. He was in therapy and we worked on that. And when he got into boxing, it's almost like it was a different way because he's, he's very calm around people. He doesn't blow up like he did when he was a kid. And he's such a positive thinker. I mean, he's he amazed me. You never know how tough your kids are, and you don't ever really want to know because something really bad has to happen for you to realize how tough your children are. And that really bad thing happened in our family. And both my kids rose up and beyond and amazed me with, and I was like, where did they get this from? <laughs> this ability to smile and laugh and keep pushing You know, within a week after he was out of the hospital, he used money he had from savings to buy himself a van because he's like, I don't want people having to drive me around. And that's before he had gotten a leg. He had a wheelchair. And he would go put his wheelchair, climb into the van, pull his wheelchair in and drive himself to doctor's appointments. Um, Very independent kid. I mean, That's a lot to say right there because there are so many people who would just shut down. And and even looking back at when I was severely sleep deprived, and this isn't even anything similar to losing an arm and a leg. I just wanted to stay underneath the covers all the day because I was so anxious and depressed because of the sleep deprivation. Yes, I was exhausted, but that's not why I wanted to stay in bed. And there are so many people who just a minor setback in life just want to shut down. So, oh, that's so beautiful. Where's his book? Hey, it's it's coming. I keep telling him. I mean, when he was in the fifth grade, he wrote a story about, uh, well, he didn't write a story. All fifth graders had to write it in California. There's like this standard they have. Fifth grade, you write about drug addiction. And he wrote a paper and he ended up 
taken third in the state for it. You know, at first they were like, the school contacted me and said, we're going to submit this because it's so good. And they submitted it and then it went to the county level and then the state and they had a big dinner for him. And and it, it's really kind of sad because he got $500 for that. And his dad told him he was going to buy him some drum sets with it, took $500 and split. His dad had a drug problem. His dad's been clean for a few years now, too. I don't talk to him too much. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was it was pretty... Um, so your son's got a PhD just like you in the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. 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 My kids have been through it, and they both do good. My daughter, you know, she told me she was going to own her own home by the time she was 30, and by the time she was 27, she owned her own home. She's got a work ethic that's unbelievable, and she owns a house out at Nacimento, out by the lake. She did have a child early also. She was 17, so at least we keep getting a little older generation. Goes <laughs> that's on. a good thing, yeah. <laughs> um, she's got a lot of, she goes back and forth to college when she has time. She'll go, but she works so many hours. She usually works six days a week, and then every year she'll take a semester to do, she works and goes to school, but... She's not a single mom either. She's with the father, my grandson's father. And my grandson does great. He's, you know, he does good in school. It would never occur to him that it was a choice to go to college or not. That to me tells me that there was a successful change in the culture of our family is the fact that he would be shocked if somebody told him he had the choice not to go to college. <laughs> and I don't I don't think that college has to be for everybody. I actually don't believe that. I was about but to I ask you that because Raquel and my family, it wasn't a choice. We were going. But I feel like I'm breaking the mold with my, my two older boys right now because what they want to do doesn't necessarily need the conventional college, as maybe some of us know it, you know, the four-year. Right, right. One of them wants to be a Major League Baseball umpire. And that does not call for, you know, four years at a liberal arts university. Exactly. There's a different school for that. But maybe they maybe they just want to do something altogether different. And whereas in my family, and I know that you and I grew up different, whereas in my family, in, right out of high school, we went, like, I would love to see my kids go out and experience the world before yes. they actually entered school. Right. Because I don't I, think I, I, I don't I think a lot of you. us know who we even are. Like when when do you feel if you have because I'm still discovering who I am and I'm 39. Do you feel like you've discovered who you are? And if you have, when did you make that discovery? Oh no, I'm still feel like pretty soon I'm going to grow up. I'm 49. <laughs> oh, I love hearing like, you say that because that yeah. means I don't need to do it anytime soon. <laughs> I, I worked in my church rectory in high school and there was a priest who said to me, and I would love to know who said this quote, growing old is mandatory, growing up is optional. I'm like, yeah, I've been living with that in my head every single day. I am definitely growing older. I don't want to say growing old because I, I don't look feel Look at old. Michael. Michael yeah. plays oh handball gosh. all the time. He does tournaments and... Yeah, I'm just glad I have his genetics in me. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Listeners, Michael is Raquel's uncle, and he's an author and a screenwriter. And someday he will be on the Positive Productivity Podcast. I'm going to have to seriously text him when we get off the line here. But he's actually beginning to help me with my book. 
and get the whole story framed out now. Like, what are you going to be doing? And he, he's who introduced us. And right from the start, I was thinking, oh my gosh, we need to have a chat. Because I feel like there are so many listeners who do have those tough times. I've had so many tough times. And I'll think that, you know, we're around the bend. Everything's going to be good from here on out. And then the next whammy comes. But it's not like your son. It's forget the whammy. What are we going to do now? Exactly. And you know what? I think that, you know, Michael, like I said, I love having his genetics in me, but it's not. It's probably not his genetics. It's probably that I was exposed to at a young age his idea of life. And he has been through things, and I'll let him talk about that when he gets on there. He he has been through a lot of things in life. But you do not ever see that man not smile, and you don't see him push forward and go, we can do this. We can do this. When he helps you with your book, you'll find that sometimes he'll be very hard. I mean, he had no problem going, Raquel, you're being lazy here. <laughs> oh, that's exactly <laughs> what is, I need, though. And that's that's what I felt like. So for somebody who just wants to go in with their book and have somebody tell them it's great, Michael's not the one to go to. For someone who wants to go in with their book and have it be above mediocre and be the best it can be, he's the one to go to because he pushes hard. And he does it. He he wouldn't do that for somebody he didn't think had something worth saying. I mean, he's told me before, yeah, I've I've looked at some writing and I knew the person wasn't willing to put in the work. And he says, so I just smile and say, you know, good luck with good that. Good luck. Yes. And he says, I move on to somebody who wants their stuff to be above and beyond. And that's what he helped me to do. And that's what he will help you to do. I mean, I promise you that you listen to what he says when he talks about writing. He just, he really knows. And, but he's a driven person anyways. I mean. But so are you, it sounds like. And I don't mean to cut you off there, but I want, I want to focus on you for a moment because I know that you love writing. You're working on your second book. You have your screenplays. But what is your mission right now? Do you have a mission? You know, somebody told me once, they said, uh, you know, in your writing, actually, it was one of my college teachers. They said, you take the underworld, the people, the homeless, the drug addicts, the people who have had all these rough things, and you've made them a minority group. You turn them into human beings where somebody else drives down the street and says, look at that horrible person over there. You're able to pull out on paper a person with real emotion because they do have real emotion. They are people. Mm. And I think that that has always, I grew up in a town that had a little over a thousand people and most of them were heroin addicts. And I've watched my friends die left and right or end up in prison for life. And it it's such a waste of life to me. And it's like, if somebody could reach them, reach out. And I had the chance because my dad didn't live here. My mom and dad separated when I was very young. And I was sent to live with my dad when I was a teenager. I got a chance that a lot of people here don't get. I got to see something different. And even though I was still a mess at that point, there were seeds that were planted. And a lot of these people, they don't have that. They have exactly what they see 
And that probably is a lot of my mission is to try and help these people lead productive lives. Like you say, positive productivity. That's a life worth living. When you're doing something that's trying to, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's art, if it's, you know, your son wants to play baseball, people love baseball. He's adding to society by doing that, by doing the things that give people who go to work and they get off and they're going to watch a baseball game and that's their thing. They want to do that. That's their happiness in life. It's whatever you can add to society and it's all different things. I mean, for me, writing, I would write if I never got paid a dime because I'm a writer. It's like in my heart. It's in I my love soul. I love hearing you say that. Yeah. Not like Michael says. Since you're going to write anyways, try and get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you, though, considering the town that you grew up in, how much do you think pop culture impacted adolescents and teenagers when they're growing up? Or do you think it was purely family upbringing? Because pop culture does play a huge role in what children see and what they think can become the reality. Exactly like when I said I didn't want to bring my kids back here. Mm -hmm. The reason I didn't want to raise my kids in this area, I'm I'm here in this area now. My daughter lives out at Nacimento. She doesn't live in San Miguel, but I'm in this area now. But the reason I did not want to bring them back here while they were growing up, the reason I worked so hard to stay in the Bay Area is because I knew that the culture of the town itself, like I said, the bar was so much lower you know, if you smoke cigarettes all day and smoke pot, wow, you're a great person because everybody else is doing heroin. Yeah, it's like you're a loser if you're not accepting you know, a cigarette from your friend. What are you, chicken? Exactly. No, I'm and not yeah. chicken. I'm just smarter. But they, a lot of kids won't say that. They'll no. just they'll just fall into peer pressure. Yes, I'm they just going to do. And when I was a kid, that's I kind of did what was expected of mm -hmm. me, what people would expect of a kid that grew up here. And I, I often wonder, how did I make it out? When I watch my friends dying left and right, and what, you know, I look at them, and they look, some of them look 20 years older than me. And I'm like, how did I get blessed with that, with the ability to get out and know it? I lost my kids. I say the, the worst day in my life was the day that my kids were taken from me. The best day in my life was the day my kids were taken from me. Because that's what made me get up and down. And I tell my kids all the time, you guys saved my life. Because I was never going to wake up and go, wow, I'm a better human being than this. I, I deserve better than this. I didn't know there was better than this. <laughs> you know, so... The culture around what you grow up in, I think it's almost more than, I, I think you have the influence. The family that I grew up in, the problems we had, most of the kids that grew up here have those problems. But it's because it was always a poor neighborhood. There's a lot of single moms that attracts a certain, you know, that attracts predators right there on its own. Oh, yeah, it and, does. And it being, you know, a very poor area, which I know they're they're trying to clean it up now. They're trying to make it a better place now, which I'm glad about because it'll always be my home. Always love the people that are here, the people that other people don't love that are gone, that they're like, well, they should be gone anyways. I'm like, you don't know 
that I sat in the ninth grade with them and saw them be able to do things that were be able to understand things and be interested in things before drugs took over their lives. Do you know what I mean? You didn't get to see the human being behind the person. And I think it has everything to do with the environment you grow up in, the family you grow up in, both of them. They play together. I can and, see that. Uh, and Raquel, I have a quick question. Sorry to keep on interrupting you. That's okay. No, no, please Let, do. Let's pretend you had an infinite amount of money in your bank account. What is one gift that you would give to yourself? One gift that you would give to the community that you live in now? And one gift that you would give to your children? Wow. So to the community, I would give the gift of setting up some kind of program in this community where kids could go learn to be who they can be, learn all the options. Some type of, I wouldn't even, I've thought about it before, but I've never narrowed it down. Something where these kids that have nothing to do but walk around town and meet people they shouldn't be hanging out with, somewhere where they could go play basketball, baseball, learn arts and crafts if they want to play guitar, learn to play guitar if they want to learn math, be able to have somebody there that's going to help them. Hey, encourage the ones who are academics to move forward as an academic. Encourage the ones who just want to create things to create things. But some type of thing for the kids to go to here that gives them something else to do besides wander the streets. For my kids, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, like my son, I would love to have the money to have him go in. Like I heard that they had a they had a guy who was in the military and he lost both arms and they did an arm transplant on him. He cannot feel cold from hot, but he can move small things into small places. He's able to use his fingers. Wow. My son was excellent mechanic. He worked on high-end sewing machines. He worked on cars before that. He's always worked on cars. You know, and he taught himself that. He's just very mechanically inclined. He doesn't have that arm to do what he loves to do. So for my son, that's a lot of money. You know, even getting him the mechanical leg that he has, I mean, it's all been money. It was work. It was hard work. And, and we're talking about a kid who you know, was used to making $70,000 a year. And all of a sudden, he's doing that restaurant business where you take food to people. Yeah. He'd walk up three flights of steps to take them food. He has one arm, one leg, and that's when he got his mechanical leg. And, you know, people wouldn't even tip him. And that always, but he was okay with that. He's like, well, I didn't go there because I thought I was going to get great tips. I just need to, he has a baby, by the way. His son just turned two. And he's like, I'm just trying to take care of my family. And I would love to give him the opportunity if he could do something like that. If I, if I had money, that is what I would get my, if I could give my son my own arm, I'd give him my arm. Except for mine's not mechanical. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it so would even work better, you know. 
<laughs> I'm thinking of um, I I think it's AI. It's a movie about the future. Haley Joel Osment, I think, wasn't it? I saw it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that would just I love be... sci-fi. <laughs> but I was watching last year. I was watching him, or maybe it was earlier this year, Returning the Favor, and there was a vet who came back. Have you seen Returning the Favor on Facebook? I have not seen it. It's a Mike Rowe who used to be on Dirty Jobs. He goes out around the U.S. and he gives back to people who are helping their community. And there was a vet who came back after losing several limbs and he actually built a rehabilitation center for other vets who lost limbs. And your son just sounds so inspirational. I mean, there's whether it be, I mean, considering the neighborhood, you know, whether it be loss of limb from or, or, you know, an eye from and I'm assuming, but this could be a false assumption. I mean, even gang stuff, you know, there's something better out there for you. Like, I love what you said about giving back to your community. But I noticed yeah. now you haven't said what about yourself? What would you give to yourself? Gosh, I don't even know. That's probably the hardest question. Oh, I know. That's I, why I'm not I letting see... you off easy here because <sighs> if anybody asked me the same thing, I wouldn't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah, that's the hardest question right there because the things that I want aren't really about having money they're about I want to be able to get my writing out obviously I have something to say my stories are just stories they're fiction but and they don't I try very hard not to say this is how you need to think I just show them a picture and let them draw a conclusion themselves it's everybody's idea what they walk away from with it so it's very hard to look at somebody, you know, when when my dream doesn't have to do with money, it has to do with wanting to, maybe I would want to produce and direct one of my scripts. Maybe that would be it. I think but that I sounds don't. absolutely amazing. What a way to get out there and touch a large population of people who hasn't heard of you yet. Yeah. I really would like to leave something behind that people could later say, look at this. You know, I look at people like Emily Dickinson and Emily Dickinson, she used to write letters to people saying, please look at my poetry. Please look at my poetry. She really never got any recognition until she died. But you know what? She would be so amazed that, you know, she's required in any English class as reading. She's the the mother of American poetry. And to me, I mean, some people say other people, but, you know, to me, Emily Dickinson was. And there's, I mean, just to be required curriculum (laughs) because she had something to say and it meant a lot. And I think there is so much we want to, you have your kids and what you do to leave behind You know, later in life, I mean, you said you're 39. Wouldn't it be great in 80 years, 100 years for people to still look at your podcast and go, this was a positive message that still means something to the world today? Absolutely. That would be a dream come true. 
that, that to me would be, and I, I listened to your podcast. I was like, you know, I didn't know who you were before uncle mentioned it. And he said, you know, listen to a couple of her podcasts. And I listened to way more than a couple <laughs> because I was like, wow, this is really, she's doing something that's really good. It's providing, a uh, something that promotes not wallowing mm. and promotes going it doesn't matter I mean from your from your first one when I heard you talking about we have five kids he was getting contract work I was at Chipotle rolling burritos <laughs> yeah we kicked off the line because my burritos wouldn't stay together <laughs> that would be me I'm not even mechanical enough to roll a burrito <laughs> yes I mean I love I love how you said that the day your kids were taken was the best day and the worst day because I totally understand that I can totally feel that because I've had a whole bunch of those best days and worst days I mean the day I lost yeah. my job as an interior architect was the best day and the worst day actually exactly I remember you saying that yeah I remember you saying that I don't think you used those words but you were talking about I remember you saying you hugged the woman that yeah fired I, laid you off yeah, I, I uh, ran into her in the grocery store and we both broke down crying because I actually thanked her for firing me. Because who knows where that chain of events is going to take you. I mean, look at where it took you after you lost your kids. Would you? Right. Would, would there be any chance of you being where you are today if you had not lost your kids? I don't think so. I mean, I mm. don't know because... Yeah, who's to know? Who's to know what else could have happened that might have, but I really do believe my kids saved my life. Mm -hmm. And you know, the first job I had, I mean, I was always a waitress before that. And I got a job working as a nurse assistant and I was sure I was going to be a nurse. I was so, and this is when I was, when I first got off of the hard drugs, I got a job. I mean, I went through rehab and then I got out and I got a job and my first job was as a nurse assistant. And I would go down on the weekends when I was off because I worked during the week. There were people whose kids never even came to see them. And they would say, oh, you know, one lady used to always tell me, Jamie's coming this weekend. He's coming this weekend. And I knew Jamie was not coming that weekend. He never came to see his mom. And I would go down every weekend and spend time with them. And my heart was breaking. I would go home and I would cry at night when I would leave. It was an elderly, I was a nurse assistant at an elderly facility. So I saw these people and I saw how, how people forget about them because they're old and they're not, and they're busy. Their lives are busy and they probably do mean to go see them, but they just get busy and they don't get there. And I would go home and I would cry myself to sleep. There was one lady who used to always be like, Please, Jesus, please, Jesus, forgive me, please, Jesus. And I don't know what she was asking for. She was like 89 years old, but I would go home with that ringing in my head. And I didn't even, I wasn't even sure who Jesus was. I mean, this isn't a religion kind of thing. It was just that it would ring through my head, ring through my head. And I, my ex that I had at the time would get really upset because he'd go, we're supposed to go here this weekend. And I'd say, well, we need to stop by here because I, I just want to visit him for a few minutes. And I ended up getting fired from that job because they found out that I had had a, a record in a previous drug problem. 
And I was still fighting something in court at that time. And I got fired and I thought I was going to be a nurse. My, that, that was my whole thing. Today, I feel like whatever higher power there is of there, whatever there is in this universe, knew that emotionally I could not disconnect from those people. And that would have been the worst job in the world for me, only because I cared too much. I, I, I'm too empathetic. I'm very, you know, every test I've ever taken, like when they look at your personality, says I'm very empathetic. That's the number one thing that comes up. I don't know how to separate it. There's a difference between going, I feel bad for that person over there and I want to help them, to almost like you feel like it's you that it's happening to. I could not have been a nurse. I could not emotionally probably have handled it. But I didn't know that at the time. I thought my dream was gone. And it wasn't. I'm supposed to be a writer. <laughs> I am not supposed to be a nurse. I would probably accidentally end up killing somebody. If oh, I was me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky that I don't kill my kids with my cooking whenever I attempt that. There's a reason why my 16-year-old and my husband do most of it. Oh, my yeah. husband does most of the cooking. I used to when my kids were younger, but now he does most of it. He's a good cook, so. No, when, <laughs> when I serve dinner, it's either stuff that we don't have to cook or takes very minimal cooking. Yeah. yeah. I, I know how to pull stuff out of the <laughs> cupboard and go, this is what we have, so yeah. I'm going to try and mix this together and make it taste somewhat good. Yes. But I've never been, like my daughter, she amazes me. She is like the best cook on the planet. But she also sews. I could never sew. I would end up sewing my sleeve to something if I tried to sew. She makes her own dresses for parties all the time. She's, um. That's amazing. Where she got that from, I don't know. <laughs> but where do we get anything from, right? I mean, the book that your right. uncle is going to help me write is Chronic Idea Disorder. Every single person in my family besides me gets on one track, stays on one track. They start a project, they finish it. That's not me at all. I have no idea where I got this from. But I love that you said that, though. I love that you said it in a positive way, not a negative way. Oh, no. They inspire me because, I mean, I'm looking right now. I think I have 30 tabs open on my Chrome browser. Yes, I should have shut them down before <laughs> starting the podcast. But I, I am just not able to, to focus for a long time on one thing. And I'm okay with that because I realize that what's that's what makes me me. Exactly. My son, you know, they always said ADD. They told me, they put me on medication for it when I was a kid. They put me on medication that would make me pull parts of my hair out. She can't concentrate. She needs this medication. We don't need medication. We just need to let our ideas run. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking about the center that you said you, you would build if, I mean, let's just imagine this, okay? You get all your work, not all your work, because you're always, you're going to be, you're like me. I can feel it. You have so many ideas, I feel, and you're just always going to have them. But imagine if your work's, no, not imagine when your work starts impacting the world and you start growing that infinite sum in your bank account. I mean, even just the courses, the programs that would teach the kids in the community to cook. And it's an art yes. for some people. To me, it's a chore. But for some people, it's an art. Yes. 
or exactly teaching them the art of writing. I mean, I was l- listening to Will I Am on the Thrive Global podcast, and he was sharing just these amazing ideas that he had when he was a child. I mean, I think I heard that he would take a bus two hours to and from school because I think he said he was raised by his mom and aunt or something. I don't know. I was driving. I was listening at 1.75 speed. You know, I took in what I could, but I couldn't take in everything. But he took the bus two hours to school. And there was one day that he he recorded a rap, put it in a Teddy Ruxpin. Remember Teddy Ruxpin? No, what's no. Teddy Ruxpin? Okay, Teddy Ruxpin was a doll in the 80s. I never had one. My family didn't have money for it. Well, that's probably and, why I don't know what it yeah. is. <laughs> but it had a tape recorder built into the belly. And you would put a tape cassette. I know there might be listeners who don't even know what a tape cassette is. But they would. you would put a tape cassette into the, I guess it wasn't a recorder, it was a player, into the player, push play, and Teddy Ruxpin's mouth would move to whatever sound was coming out. And it was usually stories. However, Will I Am recorded a rap, put it into Teddy Ruxpin's belly, and made Teddy Ruxpin rap for show and tell day at school, which I think oh is so absolutely gosh, amazing. Awesome. Yeah. But that's what about giving awesome. kids the space and freedom to use their creativity like that? That's what I think it is. You know what I think part of part of society's problem is, is they measure intelligence by an IQ that was developed based around academic math. People, I look at, you know, I know people who can't do math at all, but they're brilliant, like brilliant actresses, artists. And I'm like, who who narrowed this down and said, this is what makes you smart or not? Right. Because there's there's so many other things that make you smart besides algebra. <laughs> you know, I, I value education 100% because I think it changed the course of my family's life. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean, like I said earlier, that I think everybody needs to go to college. I don't think that that's what it is. I think that what it is is when your family is stuck in a certain place and they have a certain ideal their culture and that culture does not make everybody happy. It's breaking out from that and doing something different cycle, breaking the cycle. And I don't Mm -hmm. care what the cycle is. I mean, you just told me that your whole family culture was about going to college and you're able to tell your kid, Hey, you know what? I support you no matter what. I mean, I graduated college 18 years ago. And I still owe $40,000 in student loans. Oh, my gosh. I owe. You know, mine has moved up. I, di- I didn't mention this earlier, and I don't want to really be stuck on it much. But I got diagnosed with cancer. So I've been really sick, too, mm. while trying to do this. And, you know, I was working a year ago and able to pay. And now I find the interest going up and up. And I'm like it. in student loans. (laughs) And I can't even fathom how I'm going to pay that back. (laughs) They've they've given me a thing that says, well, you don't have to pay right now, but the interest still keeps going up. Yep. I hate to say it. I mean, I'm making my small payments. Yes. I mean, there are points when I can pay more, but I'm sticking to the payment plan that they set up. 
But during those rough times, we've gotten on the income-based repayment plan, paid zero. And what they actually said, I think they were the federal loans. They said, you know, after 20 years, if you're still making payments, it will go away. Now, I don't want that to be the case in 20 years. Listeners, if this is your first episode, my husband was a high school dropout. He got his GED so he could go into the service. And after we got together, he kept on losing his job. But he had told me in in the earliest stages of our dating that his childhood dream had always been to be a video game designer and developer. So after he kept on losing his... I love that you backed him on that. Yeah. Well, I, I just didn't... There was no other way for me because my first husband did not back me on anything. Like even when I was That's pregnant. That's what it sounded like. You yeah. never said that, but I could hear that in that. Yeah. When I, mean, I, I, was, when I, to it. I was eight months pregnant with my first and my husband, my first husband would not stop to get me ice cream on a road trip because he said I was fat enough already. <laughs> Wow. So, you know, that's not what we need. Sounds like my first husband. Mm, That's not (laughs) what we need. (laughs) My first husband, I sent him when I had, when I was uh, pregnant with my second child and I went into labor. We didn't have a car because he had crashed the car drunk driving in LA. We had no car. And I said, I'm in labor. Can you please go get us a ride to the hospital? He was gone for six hours. I was in labor. He came back drunk (laughs) with my stepdad. (laughs) And I don't know where he was for six hours. No, he wasn't drunk. So he wasn't with him. He went and got him probably afterward. Oh, good. But, you know, I had, you know, my stepdad. And it wasn't, my stepdad wasn't actually with my mom anymore. I mean, they split up because of the stuff that happened when I was a kid. I ended up telling and um, they split up, but he was still, they have, my mom has two kids with him. So they were still very much, he was, um, he was a part of our life, mm-hmm. but he, he did come. I mean, things like that. That's what makes it hard. You know, when somebody like when my stepbrother did what he did, he was so mean anyways. I think it messes you up more when somebody who you love, who teaches you to drive, who stands up for you, who shows up when you're in labor. He's the one who came and got me. When he did the things he did, it confuses you between what's love and what's... Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, I completely I think understand. he messed me up a lot more than my stepbrother, who was much meaner and did much meaner things. Yeah. It was a total different story, but he did. But he did show up. He's the one who gave me a ride, and and the ex was drunk then. But you know that ex also put me in the hospital twice. He has been with several women after that. That he's got he's got so many spousal abuses. I don't think I could count them on both hands. I want to talk to you about that for a second. What personal yeah. di- work did you do for yourself? Because you are remarried. Yes, I am. What I, what I've been pers- in therapy for on and off for years over things, and I've had good therapists, and I've had therapists mm-hmm. that were just there. Right. And I honestly believe in therapy. I honestly believe, I don't think it's that they can tell you how to fix things. I think it's an environment when you go into therapy where your brain can slow down enough to try and figure out what is it that keeps, you know, I, like my last therapist told me, she said, 
you and, and not to put down my mom. My mom comes and helps me all the time. So please do not think I'm putting down my mom. She quit drinking years ago. But my mom has had, she, you know, she's bipolar. My brother's bipolar. They've been diagnosed. It's probably I am to some degree. I was diagnosed with PTSD, but not bipolar. I look at my my mom and I think, I don't want to put my mom down. So that's that's kind of hard to say. Maybe I should jump off of that subject. <laughs> mom, she, thank you for changing you can tell how much respect your daughter has for you because she's she's checking her words. So I'm going to segue here to to therapy as well. I've never had a good therapy experience. I'm just putting it out there. This is something I've never discussed on the podcast before. And, and even, you know what? So many don't. That's what it is. It's so hard to find a good therapist. You know why? Because so many therapists were so mixed up themselves. Mm-hmm. That that's why they became therapists. That's what drove them to be therapists. But they're still mixed up. Yeah. So you go in and you're dealing with somebody who's half the time more mixed up than you are. You're like, gosh, let me give you some therapy. <laughs> let me, let I mean, me th- help you. But this one therapist had said to me, she said, your mom, you were the second to the oldest and you were the oldest female. You took care of the family. And she said, I honestly believe what you keep doing is you're still trying to fix your mom and you do it through marriages. You pick, I've been married a few times. And she says, you pick people who are very similar to your mom. She actually had me write down once. She said, I want to write, I want you to write down your description of who you think God is. So I did. And I have a very confused, my mom was very religious. So that's a hard topic for me. She was very religious. And she was drinking. Mm. You don't get a great idea of God at two in the morning when your mom wakes you up and decides you need to read the Bible. <laughs> you just no. don't. <laughs> I was raised and, Catholic and I didn't know who God was until I was 31. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure. I think there's something that helps me. I believe that 100%. But I'm still not sure that this is exactly it or that. I get all confused on religion. And it gets me, I mean, it can get me in tears thinking about it. But they asked me for my description of God. And then like three months later, she asked me, she said, give me a description of your mother. And I did. And then a few months later, she said, give me a description of your first ex-husband. And I did. And then she said, maybe two months later, give me a description of your husband you're with now, which isn't the one I'm with right now. It was the last one. And I did. Transparent you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know if I just don't play well with others or what the problem is. (laughs) But anyways, when she read the, then one day she went, I want to read you these descriptions. Every one of them matched. They were the exact description. And she said, you are still trying to fix your mother. That was your job when you were a kid to take care of your little brothers and sisters. And to this day, you are still trying to fix your mother, but you're doing it through other people. And I actually think she was, it hit home. I was like, I think she's right. And there's so many therapists that I've been to that are like, 
why am I here? You know, seriously, these people are more messed up than I am. <laughs> I, I told one therapist that I wasn't sleeping. It was, listeners, you can go back and listen to it, episode number five. I'll put that in the show notes. But I talked about how I would rather that you go sleep than listen to this episode. And that's still the case. If you did not sleep last night, pause this episode, come back to it later, but go take eight hours and get a good night's sleep, please. But I went that's through good advice. Yeah, <sighs> I went through a year and a half of sleeping two to three hours a night. And I undoubtedly, I mean, sort of like, oh, duh, when I reached the anxiety and depression, but I didn't put two and two together. So I went to a therapist and no joke, he told me to get some, I don't want to say it was this company because it wasn't, but essential oils. When you're feeling anxious, get this essential oil. And I don't, it wasn't that brand. I don't even know what the brands are of oils, but get a citrus yes. one and smell it in. And that's that, so funny. That's what my baby sister tells me. But get it's essential like, oils. Yeah. She thinks it's going to cure everything. But how about getting <laughs> sleep? Okay. Like, yes. And I could be, this could be a rant that I really try not to do very often, but I've experienced the same with coaches, with business coaches. They know something's not working in the business. They know that I've been struggling financially. This is not current. This is like a few years ago. Well, how about you do this? Instead of asking, well, what do you want to do? What lights you up inside? That's you know, what I look for in a therapist now. Mm -hmm. The one who wants to hear what you think, not tell you what to do. Yeah. And let's get rid of those limiting beliefs and I have to tell you, I'm getting so much more out of podcasts and out of the books I'm reading now and a few choice select coaches than I ever did with all the money that I spent before, including therapy money. Yeah. I mean, my, my psychiatrist, I spent six days in the mental hospital in 2008 and my psychiatrist afterwards fired me because after seven months of taking all the prescriptions that they had me on. And that was a sleep deprived medical or mental hospital stay too, I should add. You would think I would have gotten it through my head after that experience, but I didn't. So they, rather than looking at the sleep deprivation and the fact that I wasn't taking care of my thyroid, they put me on three different high powered antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs. And they were making me a zombie. I mean, and I that's what they want to do with me and I'm not doing it. No. And I'm glad you said that. It's almost like... I've been thinking, am I supposed to listen to these people? And I do not want to do that because they change your brain. They change. I think that they get in a mess with your brain and then you need them. And they still don't. I've never seen anybody on them go, wow, I have no depression or anxiety left. I'm an anxious person. I don't think I get depression so much as anxiety. I'm always striving, striving, going, oh, my gosh, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Uh, it's anxiety that I have, but I don't think it's a pill that I need to take to fix no. that. You know, I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before, but what I found really worked well for me and I'm actually, my jar is empty, but I keep it so that when I'm talking to somebody, I still have it. It's been empty for like two years. CBD oil. CBD oil. I actually have that in my bathroom. It, it was. It worked like wonders for me. I mean, I had a, my the dose that I I vape because when I was a high schooler you know I was the one who was ridiculed for not taking the cigarette so I smoked for 20 years 
this is just a day of open confessions from Kim. So I vape <laughs> and I would just, I would put six drops of CBD oil and I had the 350 mg dosage into my vape liquid. And it was like, like the day I picked it up was still when I was going through the sleep deprivation cycle and I didn't see it yet, but I was ready to run my car off a road. That's how anxious I was. But I went to the shop. I spent a lot more money than I had to get the CBD oil, put six I drops in there. I just got it. It was like $112. My husband actually bought it. It's and not said, cheap, but oh, maybe it'll have help you. Tried you. It? I haven't tried it yet. I have it in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, he just bought it. Yeah. And it, everybody keeps telling me this will help you. This mm-hmm. this will help. And so, I mean, I was never, I mean, I smoked pot in high school. Oh, uh, pot, pot because and I other don't, people do not did, get but I did not like pot. I didn't like pot when I was 14. There wasn't ever a time I went, I did it because other people did it. Mm-hmm. But in general, it made me Would a it nervous make you wreck. More ang- oh, me too. I cannot smoke oh my pot. Gosh, I was a wreck. I like was a wreck. And some to- people it works for. Some people I see put smoke pot and they're like fine. Completely Some people, mellow. I mean, what's that swimmer guy? He's freaking won medals. Yeah. So I'm not going to put down pot at all. No. I'm and look what it's doing for different medical different. conditions. Yeah. Right. Everybody's bodies are different and mm. they handle things different. So, you know, I'm definitely not an anti-pot person. It's just it just not didn't for you. work for me. It did not work for me. So that's why the CBD oil scares me. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't want to get all crazy and anxious. That's what scares me about it. My no. son says, it's not going to make you that way, mom. I promise. It's yeah. It doesn't have THC in it. It's, that's correct. Yeah. And See. he said, it's a THC you don't like. Try the CBD oil. And so my husband just bought some, but I haven't tried it yet because if I keep getting scared of trying it, but I, it probably will help. Like I told you earlier, I do have cancer, so it probably oh, yeah. will help. Raquel, my with that, my husband got injured in the service. He has a ruptured disc and a herniated disc, and they put him on oxycontin afterwards, and that made him suicidal. So he took himself yeah. off because he didn't want to kill himself. The only thing that he has consistently found that helps him, and listeners, if you're listening and it's not legal in Ohio, please don't report us. The only thing that he's found that actually fixes his pain is pot. And right. when I was going through anxiety, he said, why don't you just take a buff? So I did. And oh my gosh, it made the anxiety 18 times worse. And it made me sick to my stomach. And I was like, I am never what doing that me. again. So then he talked to some friends and they recommended this and I did it. When I got out of the mental hospital, they put me on all those drugs and I abused them. And here's another true confession. Listeners, this will probably shock you. I took the liberty to take a a few more of one of them than I should have. Do not ever do that. And I wound up in a tattoo piercing parlor and got a few things pierced, which none of these locations are pierced anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of cool, though. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they're supposed to check you, make sure you're not under the influence when you're getting pierced or tattooed. Yeah, they definitely didn't check. I will tell you the two innocent-ish, I'm making up words here, were my tongue and my nose. I was 30 by this point. Those are the innocent-ish. I do not have any of these piercings anymore. If you run into me in an event, don't ask me to see them because I do not have them. I do have tattoos. But, um, (laughs) you know, don't, don't be swept into the drugs. 
because there yeah, are they they scare me. They yeah. actually scare me. They they wanted to put me on methadone for pain for cancer and I won't do it. I see too many people. I talked to a woman who told me that she said, you know, they put me on methadone when my daughter was born. She's 30 now. And she says, I've been down to one milligram and I can't get off of it. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. My son, I, I wish pot would work for me because my son, they had him on major, when he lost his arm and leg, I mean, every heavy duty drug you can think of, he could get as much as he wanted. He didn't want to be on it. He cut himself down to nothing. He did that by himself, not a doctor telling him. Amazing. He did it and he uses pot and he says pot kills the pain enough. He says, yeah, I still have some pain, but I'm able to get around. I'm able to walk on, you know, because he's got other problems. They, you know, his, his ankle on the other leg was completely shattered. Mm -hmm. They put it together pieces of it. And they said they would have never tried to do that if he hadn't already lost the other leg. Right. So they put it together. So he'll always, he, he probably already has arthritis from it. Right. But he he smokes pot and it helps him and it keeps him off pain pills. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want to be on pain pills. He's too much of a go, go, right. go. But pot doesn't make him, like me, pot makes me paranoid and then go to sleep. Right. Pot makes him go, I'm ready to tackle the world. Oh, yeah. My husband too. It's just different bodies. It's different chemistries. For they any alarms, I just want to put this out there for any alarms that were arisen from arisen. I don't know if that's the right word. Arisen, arisen amongst the I'm listeners. I'm a writer. Yeah. Arisen. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to get grilled by your uncle, but um, you know, it's about to become medically legal. Like by the time this episode is released, it will actually be legal medically in Ohio. That's good. So. Yeah, don't worry, listeners. Plus, he doesn't do it around the kids. So, and he doesn't do it around me either because I can't stand the smell. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, I can't either. I hate the smell of it. I, I, I am not, um, I, I'm not against it. I think it should be legal. But I, you know, the first laws they came out with in California was like, what the heck? You know, they got to have some kind of restriction at some level that says, you know, you can't fly an airplane if you're. Smoky yes. pot. <laughs> Did they at least put that into action? They didn't have that the last time. This time they had some things that said, okay, depending on your work. Okay. Good. And I I liked that. That mm-hmm. was, you know, the first time I was like, I'm not voting for right. this, even though I agree that pot should be legal. I'm not voting for this. My son's like, you need to vote for it. And I was like, no, people read they read one little sentence and they jump out and say, this is great. And it doesn't mean it's great. It, it, they need to think about what they're doing. I, I don't know who in Congress is writing stuff, but <laughs> I, I, but you know what? I worked for EdSource for a long time and I, I actually interviewed people from senators and people from the house of representative. And I, I have to tell you, that I expected them to be brilliant people. And I realized they're just like all of us. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Like I want them to be able to speak our language. Yes, it is awesome. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to realize 
that, you know, to me, I don't think I could go run a country. I, I posted something on Facebook the other day that said, if uh, I were a Jedi, I would 100% use the force in the wrong way. <laughs> oh my gosh, and that I, is so funny. I, I, I need to tell you why it's so funny. I'm actually in the, um, I signed up for this little mini masterclass with Hay House Publisher. Uh-huh. And yes. people were asking, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. People were asking how many words they should write per day. And I got tired of seeing these questions because I write when I'm inspired. I cannot right. force myself to sit down and write because it feels forced. And my response was actually, you know, I'm not a Jedi and I don't want people to feel the force when they're reading my writing. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm one who will wake up at two in the morning and go, oh, yeah. I need to write. But if I think I need to sit down and they keep saying that and all these writing things, they're like, you need to set a time of day and you sit down and you write. And even uncle has said that. I can't do that because I'll just sit there and stare at a computer screen for three hours and not write a dang thing. But at two in the morning when I'm supposed to be sleeping, I wake up and I can't go back to sleep because I have to write. Mm-hmm. I have to write. I have to write. And okay, so I Uncle don't. Michael. And I know sleep deprivation. When you're talking sleep deprivation, I worked two jobs, went to college, yep. had two kids, and they wanted me to go back for my master's. I've had professors still send me things that say, you really need to come back for your master's. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I need to sleep at night. <laughs> I can't, I can't do that again. I cannot go that many years sleeping on three and four hours. And um, it's hard enough for me to sleep at night. I don't, I mean, it's, it's almost like you go to sleep at night and somewhere around one in the morning, you wake up and think of all the things that you can't take care of at one in the morning, but they run through your brain. You know what I mean? You're like, oh my gosh. What about this? What about this? What about this? Okay, Raquel, you can't do anything. It's one in the morning. Go to sleep. And this is not the same. I mean, I do wake up with that sometimes, but I've been drinking more and more water. <laughs> and I don't know if this is me getting older or me just drinking more water. Like I'm getting fed up with having to wake up at 3 a.m. to go take a pee. Oh, yeah, that, that drives happens. Me crazy. So you're 39, huh? You yeah, said 39. But yep. I, I've, I've really been. That's when that started happening to me. Oh, and they I said, just sleep. you just get a bladder that's older. And 39 is not that old to me right now. But I do remember them telling me at 39 that because I had the same problem. I have to get up and go to the bathroom at night. And I'm like, there's times I'm dreaming and going, Please don't just, okay, you went to the bathroom. I didn't go to the bathroom. I'm still sleeping. And then I wake up and go, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh my gosh, I've had that. Like I've woken myself up just praying that I actually didn't just pee my bed. Yeah, me Because too. in my dream, exactly. I'm actually sitting on the toilet. Yeah, I've had the <laughs> same thing. That's just age. And I don't know. I don't know if it happens to, I've heard before that it happens to men too. I don't. Listeners, know. I would love to know if you've had this dream too. So go and and I would love to hear your comments on this whole episode, by the way. So head on over to the Kim forward slash PP525. 
and leave a comment as well as whether or not you've had this pee in your sleep dream. I absolutely will. Yeah, I would just love to know if other listeners have experienced this as well. Raquel, I want to know where listeners can find you online, get a copy of your book and all that good stuff. If they look on Amazon, you know, the book I published, I published it under R.G. Chandler because everybody told me at the time that they said nobody wants a sci-fi from a woman, much less a Hispanic woman, which my mom is white. She's got mayonnaise in her blood, but my dad is Mexican. So I have Gonzalez as a last name. So I decided I was going to change my name. I will go back to, I'm going to I'm going to use Raquel Gonzalez from now on, but it's under R.G. Chandler, and it's Surviving X Carry On. You can find it on Amazon. I'm in the process of setting up a web page, and I think you know that me and Uncle are going to set up a podcast. That I do. We are definitely going to have you on, for sure. Fubar Mountain, yes. Yes. Mm. And it's talking about, you know, going through the worst and still reaching for the stars that's what it is so listeners we will right now amazon is the best place to find this because i don't have the web page set up yet um i'm still trying to get the paypal on there as soon as you have it set up send it over or i sure will or i'll get it from uncle and put it on the website so that in the future people can go on there and click right through to you but Raquel, I this, sure will. this has been an absolutely amazing chat and I look forward to many more with you. I would love to know if you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you could share with listeners. I'm not sure if I have that, but I do know that I enjoyed this conversation as if we were talking with no listeners. And that I think is awesome as an interviewer that you're able to do that that you're able to talk to somebody and make it very personal and make it like, hey, my buddy called me up and we had a conversation. You know, that's that's awesome. I really hope that people never give up on the dreams. You know, so many people think things are hard and just stick to the grind. Go to work for somebody let them smack you on the butt and tell you to give them a cup of coffee, you know, as a secretary. Don't do it. We live in a country where you don't have to do that. And I know our country is not in the greatest state, but that we still have that. We have that freedom. Go for your dreams. I wish I had a whole bunch of cool things to say, except for don't give up ever. I mean, look at you. You have done amazing things. I mean, I read everything about you, and you're amazing. You and I was just like, this is somebody day. I would like to have as a friend, not just because you're going to interview me. I mean, I really read stuff and looked at stuff and went, wow, she is really an awesome person. And that's somebody I would like to have as a personal friend. You Thank know, you. and there's not a lot of people that I really think that of. <laughs> well, if you can be my friend, everybody. if you don't mind a mess, okay? Because like I'm looking around my office right now and it, <laughs> I had okay. all my kids home yesterday and it is an absolute pigsty in my office because they ripped but it But you pull it off, you keep mm-hmm. going and that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. 
When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.